in a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory. One podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. So good morning, Caitlin. Am I right? Good morning. Yes, good morning. Well, good, early afternoon. All right, early afternoon. Sorry, fine. So good afternoon to you then. Um, so, Caitlin, first of all, I want to say thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time. It's been busy. I know we had rescheduled it once. And I really wanted to, you know, I appreciate the time. So thank you. Well, I'm blessed to be, I'm really happy to be on the call and I appreciate your patience because the last month has been kind of crazy for you, but things are calming down now. So thanks for being patient. Awesome. Well, patience is one of those things that's really important and it kind of really you know, moves into the first conversation focus point that I'd like to talk about with you since to me, I've seen so much of what you've written about and also your successes, uh, pardon the birds in the background, my birds, uh, <laughs> but they, you're really about getting to know the customer and getting to know the person behind the company. Mm -hmm. And you've really kind of focused on the customer and your successes as a five-time founder really puts the customer at the, at the focal point. Mm -hmm. Well, right? I've made lots of mistakes, which is why, <laughs> you know, having been a, you know, at, it, it was four companies and then I helped my husband recently launch a new one. So we are at five. And you learn a lot in that in that journey, and so that's really brought me to where I am today with the focus on the customer. From probably not being customer centric enough in the first two companies. Okay, so you that well, I'm gonna get back to that point in a second about why what what were the, some of the mistakes. But I didn't know about that about you. But you pinned recently on your post on Twitter that you kind of said is your customer obsessed. You help products team you, you help product teams figure out what triggers people to buy so they can get smart market smarter. And well, that's a ringing endorsement for empathy to me, at least I'm, I'm like a big focus. I like talking about empathy all the time. Uh, I think it's something that companies don't talk about enough. So I think it's a superpower. I think yeah. empathy is the marketer's superpower. It's the entrepreneur's superpower. And you're right. And a lot of people aren't talking about it enough. Right. So what is it about that component that either let's start with to talk about why do you think that companies don't talk about enough? And then the second question could be is, what makes it the superpower for marketers? You could answer the questions neither order. Sure. So I guess, I mean, I think like, I think that empathy to, to our point, you know, it is a superpower for marketers. It helps you to, if you don't deeply understand the state that your customer is in, when they might be looking for a solution like yours, when they have a problem to solve, when they discover you and they're trying to evaluate you, if you can't understand what's going on in their life and in their journey that would have led them to you, then how the heck are you supposed to create messaging or, you know, campaigns to get their attention, right? So if you don't understand where they're at, how can you meet them there? And so empathy is so, so critical. I think that one of the reasons it's not talked about enough and perhaps is overlooked is that a lot of people like to sell things that are easy to measure, right? So there's lots of, you know, market intelligence platforms out there that will show you if you want to go after this type of audience here are the social profiles that they follow and here are the podcasts that they listen to and the blogs that they read or there you know this audience type is growing by x amount each year because of the market evolving and blue 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 people like to kind of 
like that shiny, like hard fixed number stuff, I think is something that is attractive to marketers because like anybody else, we're kind of like seeking certainty. We want to have answers. And so it's a lot easier to gravitate towards market data and uh, personas and information around who a customer might be that's based on kind of like attributal stuff that you can easily measure than it is to talk about what that person feels and what motivates them and how they think that stuff is hard to measure it's hard to it's hard to find in some cases if you don't know what you're looking for and so it becomes secondary to the more tangible things. But the problem is that those really tangible things, well, they might give us this false confidence that we're moving in the right direction. Because, you know, we've got these facts and figures to look at. We've got these, you know, attribute rich personas. It doesn't actually explain to us why people buy. So we spend a ton of time learning about audiences or markets without actually knowing the most important thing, which is why people buy. And if you want to know why people buy, that comes from having a deep rooted empathy for that customer and their journey. And so that, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head, in my opinion. I mean, I love the fact that you said that you kind of have to, you know, move away or companies kind of have to move away from trying to sell a product with just, you know, data and metrics, but at the same time, understand the customer, you know, you're trying to sell a product, whether the product is, whatever the case may be. But, you know, if you don't really understand it, besides just trying to sell a platform or whatever it is, but really trying to get to know the product and the, and the person behind it who's going to buy that product really well, you're not going to be able to sell them. And like you said, originally, you know, kind of getting to their messaging much, much more on point and much more on target, especially since, you know, especially nowadays when you have, whether it's the pandemic or whatever it is, people have much more, you know, and they're much more digitally connected. People have much more, you know, available to them so they can have much more choice and so they're absolutely and there's so they're yeah go ahead well I would, I would also say that people i think that that you bring up such a good point because this idea of like a lot of people think that what they're trying to sell is their products right but people don't actually buy products what we're trying to buy are outcomes we have specific outcomes we're trying to achieve and we're buying products to help us to help us make progress so we can get towards the outcomes that matter to us but the interesting thing about empathy again like rooted in this concept of empathy is that there's probably a lot of different types of businesses that are promising to help us get those outcomes and so understanding why somebody would choose your business why it's the right fit for them like what you have the competitors don't and what the unique value is that you can position and offer to customers that is worth choosing you over alternate solutions the only way you get there is through having that empathy for your customer and where they are and their like the details of their buying journey and if you don't know that you can promise you know to give them said product you can promise to help them get this outcome but if you don't really understand why you then you're still not gonna, you're still gonna have a disconnect. I, lo I love that, I love it. So, you know, I love that point because you, it really just brings everything kind of to, you know, to the really bring it back to the cost, to the, that relationship between the company and the customer that, you know, that interaction, whether it's the first digital interaction or the second or the third, most of the time there's multiple touch points, but at any touch point, whether at any digital touch point, the customer and the you know company need to make sure that they're, I mean, the company in this case, because we're talking about the company in relation to the customer, but the company really needs to know uh, who they're hitting or who they're speaking to at any point. So that way their, their, their conversation and the point and the, you know, the messaging is right. So, you know, I'm going to ask a question that kind of goes back to something that we spoke about earlier before we hit the record button. You said that, you know, 
you were onboarding four new people, which is amazing. I mean, especially in these days, it's amazing. And you also kind of mentioned it right when we started off that you, you know, you, we had four successful companies or, you know, two that were so, less, so successful. What was, uh, what were some of the successes or less, less than successes that you kind of learned from and that kind of positioned you to be at the position you are now uh, with such a growth? Sure. Uh, so the first company I launched was a branding agency and that was successful on paper in that we made money and that we had cool clients, you know, we were working with clients like Target and Holiday Inn. And so, you know, a well um, respected agency doing great work. And then from that, I um, ended up kind of like starting a sister company to that, which was a restaurant consulting company. So we did a lot of the branding and marketing work for restaurants. And then I brought in other expert consultants to deliver other services that restaurants would need. And so don't that lie, company got lie. bought. You don't lie. You really did it just for the food. Come on. <laughs> well, the, my husband's a chef, so I'm lucky enough to get to eat amazing food all the time. Yeah, Another we're gonna, reason we're why. Get to my husband's company in a second, but okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and so that company got acquired in about two years. So it was like, okay, cool. So now I'm back to like just focusing primarily on my agency. And like, you know, a number of service-based businesses, I was I was enjoying the work that I was doing, but I wanted to do something a bit more scalable. I wanted to build a product that we could market ourselves in the same way that I was getting to work with our clients and helped helping to market them. And so at the time I was kind of tossed up between doing a information style product, like a training company, like I operate today or doing a software product. And foolishly, I thought that software would be easier. I don't know where, I, where I got that, um, you that assumption thinking like from. a customer, were you? I was not thinking like a customer. I was thinking totally wrong, which was, I want to do another type of business. So I'm just going to start that business. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, base it on like seeing a true need in the market. I'm going to base it on me wanting to do something new. And so I quickly learned I was lucky enough with the start of that company that I got to participate in some tech accelerators. There's an amazing tech community here in Atlantic Canada. And so I learned very quickly how flawed my thinking was and that I couldn't just start this company because I felt like doing another company. Me and that wow. I really needed to, to go you and do some it? customer discovery. <laughs> no, I, that I shouldn't, right? I needed to go and do some customer discovery and really understand who I was building this thing for. And so I was operating both that company and my agency for a little while, and I was trying to raise money to build the tech company. And all of the investors that I would talk to would say, we're not giving you a dime. As long as you're running this other company, you're not all in. So why would we give you any money? And so I said, okay, damn it. Like, I'm going to have to go all in on this. And so I ended up moving my team members out of the agency, the ones that had relevant skills into the, te the tech company and, you know, laying off a couple people and well, finding them other homes because they were all awesome. And luckily I found everybody a soft landing. But so we focused on the tech company and good on the marketing side, poor on the product side. So we were great at getting people to sign up for our thing. So our, what we ended up, we went through a couple iterations, but where we ended up was, it was a business network for women entrepreneurs. Uh -huh. And at one point, like Inc. Magazine said we were the next LinkedIn for women. And like Forbes was calling me like an influential entrepreneur and like comparing me to like the founders of like the skim and like all of these at the time, fast growing startups. But behind the scenes, things were not going well. We were able to acquire a lot of users to sign up, but we hadn't built the right product. It wasn't sticky. They weren't hanging around. They weren't inviting their friends at the rate that they needed to for us to, for it to work. And so after about four and a half years of putting everything we could into it, you know, myself energetically, financially, I had to just accept that it wasn't working and we had to close it down. Four and a half years is a pretty solid run though for- it, It's- 
it was four and a half years. It was definitely, you know, we, we got, we got a couple of the milestones that you need to hit in startup life, but we just didn't get, we, we lived almost probably longer than we should have. <laughs> like, wow, okay. Realistically, we probably could have closed the business a year earlier if I wouldn't have been so damn afraid. But after that, I was again, really fortunate. I had met this great community of people in the startup ecosystem here. And my lead investor actually came to me and said, you guys are good on the marketing side. We've got all these other companies that are good on the product side, but they suck at marketing. Can you guys work together? And I was like, hell yes, because I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And so <laughs> if you want to pay me to be a consultant for some of those companies, I'll go for it. And started to see really quickly that they had the opposite problem. You know, they were good at building product. They didn't know who their customers were. And that was leading to them building these really cool products where they weren't necessarily the right products or they weren't positioning them correctly. They weren't figuring out how to get them in front of the right people. And so like fast forward, like two years later, really what I'm doing today all has come out of starting to work a lot with these more early stage companies and seeing that they were really, really struggling to understand their customers. And it made me reflect back on the work that we had done in my agency and realize that like, while we had gotten results for our clients, our clients were happy. Oh my God, could have we done so, so much more if I would have known what I know now about how to understand what an audience cares about, about how to really dig into the details of their buying journey so you can use that to map out your marketing plan. Like I didn't know any of that when I was running that agency. I was just lucky enough to work with clients that had budgets and had happy customers and could, you know, you'd pour a little money in, you'd get some outcomes out. And, but when you're getting started and you're trying to continue and grow traction, it's like, that's a whole different ball game. I also think it's partly the the way the general, I mean, like, it sounds very strange because, you know, you're only talking, I don't know how many years, I mean, you're talking about six years. We're talking 10 years, so 10 years total. Right, 10 years total. You're talking about, let's say, you know, 10 years from today is 2010. It was a different kind of. It was a very different time, yeah. Different t- in terms of like big companies, they were throwing money at. I'm not say, not to say that what you did was you know minimizing it, but you know the people were the the company was like everything digital and everything. Oh yeah. So it was a much different component. Now you have much smarter you know marketing tools for for those companies because it's way harder right Right. like i think back to then like we you know when i was working with my agency and prior to starting my agency working in other agencies like you'd have clients come to you and be like can you make me like a viral video and there was like this expectation that that was something that companies could just deliver and clients would spend like a hundred thousand dollars on a video campaign and then it's like okay that didn't really work and then what are we going to try now and all of these ideas all of this budget being spent all of these campaigns and ads and like you know even new products coming to market all around smart people sitting in a boardroom generating ideas way way too much of that and way too little of actually going out and talking to customers and so this you know actually going out and talking to customers it's certainly something that is growing the popularity is growing people are starting to understand that they need to do it it's still not happening enough like i was going to ask do you think it's still happening like you know you mentioned something about the boardrooms I still have this feeling that people in the boardroom still make those like, you know, harebrained ideas and say, Let, let's do something crazy like this. And mm-hmm. you're like, that's not reality. And the marketing team is not involved in that conversation. 
Well, it's, it happens all the time, right? And, it's, and there's numbers to show that it happens all the time. So like ProfitWell, which is a company that primarily works with subscription businesses. So they're, they're, most of their clients are going to be software companies or e-commerce companies that offer subscriptions. So they have software and then they also have some services that they deliver. And so they did this huge study and they looked at like 5,000 subscription-based companies. And they asked them, you know, how many of you are talking to 10 or more customers a month not to sell them something, but to learn from them, to research, to understand your customers better. And it turns out that only three in 10 of their companies said, yes, we're doing that. And three in 10 and the three, the three, the 30% that were doing that, here's the kicker. They were growing two to three times faster than the ones that weren't. So then this is the other interesting thing that they did that the study just blows your eyes wide open. So then they went out to those, you know, those 5,000 subscription companies and they asked them, think about the next kind of significant, the last significant improvement that you made to your product, right? So if it was a software product, maybe it was a new feature. If it was an e-commerce thing, maybe it was a new product that they put out. Like how different and valuable do you think that thing was? And they got them to like all answer their thing and then they plotted all their answers on like a, um, uh, four quadrant axis and like it all kind of said like really different really valuable right that's what they were thinking right. then they asked that same question to their I think it was three million customers across these 5,000 companies and they said thinking about the last big feature release that this product this company that you have a subscription to put out the last thing that they put out like how diff how valuable was it to you and how unique was it in that it like, really differentiated them and it was like a mirror image it was like not valuable not different like and so it's like there's this massive disconnect so you've got 70 percent of these companies that are putting things out to their customers that they think are valuable and differentiating them from their peers and their customers don't think it that and they don't know that because they're not talking to their customers so it's this huge yeah. insidious problem yeah it brings me back to a story i remember once i was uh mentoring for a startup here in israel and the first thing they wanted me to do is you know help them with their getting their blog content program the whole thing and i said is what are your they it was like a network of um like a, a network of college students on various college campuses to help market products for them and it was basically a whole they used a really good network and they had a good idea and i said is what are your customers saying about your product and what are you learning about using this network? What are they telling you? And what can those people who are on the ground with your product, what are you giving them? This is how it got back to them. I, I said, mm -hmm. what are you giving those people who are on the ground in order to show thank you and appreciation for giving you this important value that, and how are you changing your product based on that value? And he said, "Is well, we're not giving them anything. They're working for free. They want to build their resume. And I said, "Is well, we're not doing any more marketing. I'm not talking to you about anything until you tell me that for the next six months, you're going to promise me that you're going to actually listen to what they say, write it down, and they're because those are your customers, and you're going to listen to what they say, and you're going to do things. Because the stuff that I'm going to tell you now about marketing is the easy part. Because the other part, which is, you know, people, you can actually hear the network and talk to these people and engage with these people and hear your product without, a, he, I think he had at the time, he had like 10,000 users, which was like a mm -hmm. very good milestone for his startup. And he said is, I have no information about what the product and how can I improve it? And I said, then well, this what, is the thing, right? Like, what are we doing then? What am I doing yeah. here? I'm, I'm not mentoring you then. <laughs> yeah. This is the challenge. I think that happens when, with a lot of founders, like there's this whole concept, like I'm a big believer in this um, innovation framework known as jobs to be done. And mm -hmm. there's a book that gives a good introduction to this. And the title of the book is called competing against luck. And the kind of promise of the book is like, 
there's all of these companies that are trying to put new products out to market. You know, some existing companies that are bringing something new to market, new startups that are bringing something new to market. And so, so, so many of them fail, right? And we know that the numbers support that. And how can we as founders and as teams, how do we like start actually getting better at this thing so that it's not just the companies that win are the ones that get lucky right and i think that the problem with a lot of um the advice that's out there for early stage companies the advice that's out there for um you know established companies that are bringing something new to market a lot of the big talking heads some of them got lucky right. and like they're never going to admit it. They'll admit it when they do their second company. I've seen this pattern a lot. A lot of founders that, you know, had their first company, the timing was right. The product was right. The acquisition happened quickly. Like now they're sitting back and they're going, damn it, I'm really good at this thing. And I'm going to help a lot of other companies or I'm going to start another company because I know how to do this. And then they start their second thing and they get humbled by, oh frig, like this didn't work at all. And right. like last time it was so easy, why was it so hard this time? And so I think a lot of times people that are doling out advice, they're giving it from the vantage point of somebody that's had success. And I'm not saying that it was easy because there's no such thing as easy when it comes to companies. But if you have the right, if you figure out that kind of like product market fit piece early and you don't actually have to work at it, like you bring the thing and you're right, people seem to like it and you've got a lot of momentum and energy, then you don't need to learn a process to actually get there. And most companies don't start there, right? Most companies start with like lukewarm market interest and then right. need to try to figure out how to turn that into like hot market demand. And that is a way different exercise than riding the tidal wave <laughs> of energy that's already happening because you hit the you hit something in the right way. So. That means it's it's really a matter of that most of the time they don't necessarily learn, you know, best practices or even how to market. Like you said, it's a lot of it is mostly just luck or somehow they, you know, hit the right, you know, just somehow miraculously got everything in order very quickly. Uh, I mean, so it's like it's this it's this challenge of, you know, best practices versus luck and where do the two fall into uh, kind of where, do they, where which one comes first. Right. And the, the argument made in this book and the argument that I make every day and the type of work that I do now is that like, I don't have the answers. I can, I might be smart and I might have lots of opinions, but I do not have the answers of what you need to do to grow your company. If I'm not your ideal customer, if I haven't tried to solve that problem myself and I can share insights from my own experience, then chances are I can like totally just like give a ton of what sounds like really smart advice around what you should do. And maybe you could try this and like, but all of that's going to be me talking out of my butt, right? Cause like what? I'm not the customer. And so it's on the team. Teams, the marketers that work with the teams, the teams themselves, to be able to go out and gather that insight from their customers. And then you decide how to action that. Then you decide what the, you know, what the um, milestones should be and what to prioritize. But if it's just a bunch of smart people sitting around making assumptions, then you could come up with ideas that sound really great in the boardroom that don't do anything out in the market, right? Exactly. And that kind of brings me to one of your tweets that I, I'm literally printed it, put it on my um, wall over here, which you can't see because it's facing the wrong way. But oh, that's such a, that's so, comp thank you. <laughs> uh, no problem, it's a compliment. I, I, occasionally I, you know, I, I do it, I have a couple of tweets, a couple of things I put up on the wall. It says here, we should call best practices in mar marketing what they really are, the stuff that's probably harder up front and therefore tempting to skip out, skip that out, but way more effective in the long run. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember that tweet, but you have like some a good a good list, a good bunch of them that are really uh, inspiring. But that one it kind of talks about what we just mentioned. What else? Did, what about that? You know, like you know, front loading, if you will, the best practices of marketing that people skip out on is what you think is like such an important component that we we need to be more you know I guess you know diligent about as marketers. Oh, it's, there's so many examples of, you know, we say to do it this way, but then the company goes off and does it this way. Or like, you know, people doling out advice that they themselves don't take, but like the, it's so common that people skip over those best practices because it's sometimes slower, right? And speed, it feels good to move quickly. It feels good to output stuff. It feels good to click send on that email campaign or to, you know, click like, you know, um, post on that like um, new ad campaign that you're putting together or to like put that new product out into the world. All of those things feel incredibly good. And when you're in the work, you're focused and you're moving forward and it feels like you're getting a lot done right and then you put the thing out there and then you sit and you wait and the response isn't what you want and you go oh crap like obviously at some point there was a we misunderstood what was going to work and this isn't getting us the results that we want now maybe we need to go back and try to figure out why and that's almost always the process that entrepreneurs follow so like one of the reasons I, I do some work with idea stage entrepreneurs, but I only do it through partnerships with like accelerators and incubators, because right. in my experience, if the idea stage entrepreneurs almost always are too confident that their yeah. thing is going to work. And they don't, and and they don't have they, any competition. Yeah. And that they don't <laughs> have any competition and that there's nothing else like them. And so like they can't do customer discovery because like, who are they going to talk to? Because they're like a whole new category. And those people I know, I'm like, all right, well, come back to me in six months or 12 months when you have sat down diligently and pumped out a ton of code in the software case or in the product case, like, you know, put all of your energy into building this thing and you put it out there and you realize that people don't actually want it then you get humbled and then you're willing to sit down and do this work. So that's why I transitioned my business. Initially, I was working primarily with like companies that were building something new and I was helping them to use customer insight to build the right thing. But I learned from that work. I was like, they will get taught through all of the training programs that they're going through acceleration or thing. They're going to learn about customer discovery and customer development, but they're not going to actually pay attention until the rubber meets the road and they end up, being in that pain point of, okay, we made some, we definitely miscalculated and stuff here. So now where I focus is really on helping people to use customer discovery to grow the business, because that's often when they're like, okay, like we've got enough of, we've got enough traction that we're going to, we're looking at growth. And now I'm willing to do this work now because we're not growing as quickly as I want to. People are open to doing the work at that stage. When it comes to bringing something to market, almost like, it's just been too consistent <laughs> that people are just not willing to put the work in up front. And so it sucks to have to watch them make the painful mistake. But at the end of the day, then I can get them on the other side when they're ready to start growing faster. Well, now they're going to actually talk to customers. It's like, all right, I'll help you then. Yep. So speaking of uh, new ideas and, you know, touching pain points, I'm going to come back to you. I'm a foodie. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you about your husband's company. I know it's not necessarily like not an international thing, but, I'm looking at this website and I'm like, you know, kind of like uh, getting really hungry, even though it's past my day. <laughs> um, 
But what was the concept about this around this, you know, this special, you know, ready to go, you know, BBQ kind of thing? Obviously, it's, you know, very local. But what is the concept around it? Uh, kind of to and how did you how did you come up come up with that idea? So um, the concept was that uh, my husband lost his job. And so he had wanted to get back into the restaurant world for a while. That said, he didn't know kind of like, we weren't sure that that was the lifestyle we wanted. We'd had that life before. And he'd been working in a different sector for the last like seven years. And he had been working in um, oil and gas in uh, a safety role, but uh -huh. wanted to get back into food. And so the pandemic happened and he lost his job. And obviously when the pandemic happened and all of the restaurants closed, didn't seem like the appropriate time to start a restaurant. Right. And so we started like toying around with different ideas. Like initially it was like, you know, maybe it was a grocery store or maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And I was like, well, let's do some, you know, the, the idea for a barbecue box came up and I was like, let's go and do some customer discovery on this. Let's figure out what the interest is that people might have. And that initial round of customer discovery gave us enough confidence to bring this to market. It helped us to shape kind of like how we positioned it. The first version of this. So what Charboys does is we deliver boxes of ready to grill barbecue to your door. And initially it's like, kind of like instructions of what to do or just ex exactly. So it's kind of yeah. like the hello fresh, but specifically right. more for barbecue, cool. or at least that's how I had been explaining it <laughs> until my most recent round of customer discovery. But so we started there and what we learned though, in our, in our interviews was that a couple of really interesting insights that led to how we launched the company. So we learned that people were bored during the pandemic, looking for something to do, looking, feeling disconnected from others. So that was a great insight that helped us to figure out that we would shape this whole thing right. like an event versus a, you know, box of groceries. Right. So we really created this fun I see event. That, yeah, I see on the website, you kind of created like back to school, uh, not, not all day, not all day. I don't know what that is. Natal day, Natal which day. is the, which is Nova Scotia's birthday. So, okay. Got it. Sorry, um, sorry for missing pronouncing that one and father's day box so it's kind of more like a day kind of thing i got it around the day yeah so we started doing it that way and then um for, like the insights we got was like that it was people were eating with their family more they were enjoying that time with their family it was like during the pandemic it was stressful for many many reasons but there was also kind of this bright spot of like you know we're sitting down at the table as a family and eating more often and so there's lots of insights that we used to kind of like launch the first version of it and then we went through and did several you know several uh iterations of that but we've continued to do more customer discovery trying to figure out how do we make this thing more scalable for us how do we make sure that we're delivering the right solution for customers and it's interesting so we went off and did like our second big round of customer discovery now of course we have a lot of customers so we have a lot of repeat customers people who just love what we're doing and are buying every single time like they're they'll buy within the first like five minutes of getting the email i was like well those are the people that i want to talk to right those people i want to learn from and what we learned, which was really interesting and exciting and totally, like in my mind, totally repositioned how we, what, how we do what we do and why we exist in the world is that we're not Tuesday's dinner, right? Like we're not competing against that HelloFresh box and we're not competing against that run to the grocery store to get dinner tonight. What we are is we're an event that they can plan around, that they can use to create a social experience with friends and family. And we're competing against you know, going out for dinner with friends and having to get a babysitter and pay for a cab and like deal with all the stuff that comes with that. And so we're kind of like reshaping the offer. So instead of having new boxes every month, 
we're going to actually create specific boxes around different events. So we're going to have a date night box and a game day box and a party box. So like ideas, the idea being that rather than you having to create, like plan your events around us, why don't we just make it available and every weekend these boxes are shipping out so that we can fit into the events that are already happening in your life. So, so many cool insights come from like continuing to talk to your customers, continuing to learn from them. We learned so much in our first round of discovery that helped us to really nail it with like our first version. And as we've continued to evolve, we're just creating these super fans, people that are just zealots for this product. And like, then the more we learn about them, it's like they were already planning their anniversary around our box. They moved their anniversary by a week so that they could have the box for their anniversary. It's like, well, damn it. They're like, we are doing this wrong. You know, like they love the product, but we need to actually have this shaped around what they're actually using it for, as opposed to trying to do it in a way that works for us from a internal perspective that actually isn't delivering the outcomes that they want. So it was an interesting insights that came out of that. I love it. I mean, it's really basically taking all that you've done. Um, and since like your entire experiences professionally and kind of bring it back to like a more personal level, obviously with your husband's business and whatever was going on, but you're actually taking that information, the insights and, you know, a telling the story of your product, but more importantly is telling their story and then using the product to shape their story in a way that's really you know, on point and getting them to be their super fans, which is what every, you know, company product, whether it's a food product or tech product wants, you know, and they're eager to get at all times. And it's so exciting for me as a marketer, because it gives me so much clarity around who our customers are and why they buy. Right. So like we knew already that like we'd figured out through our first round of discovery that our customers were what I like to call like food curious suburban parents. And the reason that any of that stuff matters, that's just a bunch of like attributes. But the reason that it matters is like when you have younger children, your social events change. Right. And right. the way that you eat at home changes. And so you're not just going out to dinner every night because it's actually a pain to get the kids in the car and find a place that everybody likes. And like, there's so many, there's so much friction involved in that experience, but like in understanding who that customer was, then when we went off and did more research, it's like, oh, well now we can actually use what's happening in their lives to target people at the perfect time. So I always like to talk about like, you know, you want to trigger customers when they're most, you want to understand your customers buying triggers so you can target them at the right times. Well, now I know that we can be specifically targeting people who have an anniversary coming up, people who have a birthday coming up or people who follow different sports teams so that we can like promote the game day box to them on Wednesday. So they have it for the guys on Sunday. And so like, now that we know what those specific events are that they were using what we deliver for we can shape our offering around that and we can use it to target people when they're going to have that need so it's really really cool stuff it's awesome so i i have my timers coming up and i like to make sure that we're staying within the time and also making sure that we respect your time because I, I really believe that every person's time is super valuable so i have one last question for you which is really kind of you know a question of, to you is what what is like you know, give, give me, give me the audit, you know, the, the marketing goal that you just say is everyone should be focusing on this more and more. I know I have already opinion of what you're going to say, but I want to hear it from you uh, in terms of, you know, last nugget of information that you're just like, mm -hmm. this is what, if I'm going to leave it with, you know, and everyone, this is what I want them to leave it with. 
Absolutely. What I would say is that whoever gets closest to the customer wins. Like that is not my quote, but that is a quote that I use all of the time. And it's proven so true. When you look at the companies that are really disrupting markets, the companies that are growing quickly, the companies that are staying stable and continuing to grow over decades, like these are companies that have spent the time and energy to deeply understand their customers. And they continue to evolve how they serve those customers based on that customer insight. And so what I would say is, you know, the best marketers, the best product people, it's not that they understand the tools, not that they understand the channels that they can get in front of people with, it's not that they understand the best sales strategies, they understand customers. And so if you invest there in the beginning, you can get outsized outcomes in the end. That was probably the best ending to a, a podcast I've probably ever had. So that was awesome. <laughs> So, awesome. Well, I, I'm grateful awesome. to be on today and just share this wisdom. Awesome. So I'm just. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, the next time you're doing business in the digital economy, make sure to empathize it.